here we are, 2023. And uh, yeah, it's happened. I, uh, I was saying in the first meeting, I remember when I was very small being at school and uh, a teacher saying that he might live to 2025. And uh, I, thought, I sat there and I worked out with my calculator, my best maths. I thought, oh, I'll be 50. That can't be true, right? And uh, here we are. Here we are, 2023, with 50 on the horizon and uh, greying and balding and all the rest. I had great encouragement when somebody called, I think it was Colin, said, you're already there, mate. You're already there. Thank you for that. Time moves on, doesn't it? Time runs. It just runs inexorably, continues. And the world changes. The world goes from chaos to chaos. And haven't we seen that in the last few years, right? The utopian ideal that somehow humanity is going to solve it through communism or capitalism or another ism. And yet we find ourselves in ever-increasing mess because we never learn from our histories because the human heart is deceitful above all things. That's what the Lord says. And so with the best intentions, we tend to mess things up without him. And here we go that the reality as we hit 2023 is that God is from everlasting to everlasting and unchanging. And so we have a firm foundation. We have a, a basis of our lives that's not shifting, that's not, not going to change under us and suddenly become something other than what we thought it was. He says to Solomon in the dedication of the temple as a response to Solomon's prayer, he says, my eyes and my heart will be over this house forever. And then we have the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus saying, Do you not know you are the dwelling place of God? You are the household of God. His eyes and his heart are on you forever. He says to the prophet Jeremiah, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Jesus speaks of himself, doesn't he? And he says, Because my Father loves you so much, we agreed that I'd come. So that whoever believes in me won't perish, but have ever everlasting, eternal life. And asked later on, what is eternal life? He says, it is to know God and his son. That's everlasting life, to know him, to be back into that place of relationship. There is a permanency hello melody where are you gonna go <laughs> there is a permanency to the nature of our God as we look into 2023 now the opportunity that presents us with the changing of the seasons is an opportunity to refresh to review to think again to recognize the march of time and that enables us to do a bit of work with God. It enables us to recognize times moving forward and we need to make a decision. We need to perhaps decide things for the forthcoming 12 months that might be different from the preceding 12 months. We get the opportunity to look again and think, okay, what's going to be different in 2023? 
from 2020, 21, 22? What's going to be different? Because if we understand that when God speaks through the prophet of his son, that the, that the increase of his government will be without end, and he's our king, the question is, how his government's going to increase in me? What's that going to look like in 2023? How is he going to be more a lord of my life by the end of the year than he is today? Not legally, spiritually speaking, but in terms of the way I think, in the way I believe, in what I do with my days. What's going to happen to that and what does that look like? I want to take you to Exodus 34 for a moment. In Exodus 34, God gives Moses, who's ascended the mountain, he gives him the Ten Commandments. And we have in this sequence, in this part of the story, this moment where God is saying, I'm going to be amongst my people, and the people back off because they've made promises they failed to keep, and God is pure and he's holy, and he's not manifesting the fullness of his grace yet because it's not being paid for by Jesus and so his holiness could consume them. And so they say, do you know what? We're not sure we can do this. We'll back off. You go up the mountain, Moses. You go up. You go see him. We're going to stay here. And as you know, they stay there and get into all sorts of trouble. But Moses goes up the mountain and he spends that time with God. And when he comes back down the mountain, he's physically changed. It says that his face shone to the extent that people couldn't look at him directly. It wasn't like a two-year-old or a three- or five-year-old opening some Lego at Christmas and going, oh, wonderful. It wasn't that sort of shone. His face literally shone and reflected the glory of the Lord. And people were like, whoa, too much, too much. Put a cover on it. Now, his glory would fade depending on his intimacy with Christ, his intimacy with the Holy Spirit, his intimacy with the Father in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. But as he would go in and come out, he'd speak to the congregation of the Israelites through a veil. And that was glorious, that was incredible, that his face would actually shine because of the physical presence of God. What's that like to be so close to God that your body changes and something of the eternal nature and character of who you are and the glory of God gets reflected to people around you? What is that like? What is that? And the interesting thing is that when Paul looks at this, he says that's a glory that's passing away. That's nothing like the glory you carry. I'll read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel couldn't bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of the Lord, even though the brightness was already fading away. 
Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brought condemnation was glorious, how much glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first, glorious was, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Paul's saying, he's unpacking it. He's saying, look, most of us would have loved to have walked out of a prayer meeting and encountered God. And people would go, wow, what happened to you? You've got a glow. You've got, you know. We'd be like, yes, come on, I've got you. Wow. But there's Moses with potentially millions of people going, whoa, don't cover it up, man. But Paul says, no, 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 that is nothing compared to the glory that's in you because of what Christ has done. Nothing compared. What was the difference between Moses and the Israelites? He went up the mountain. He spent time with the Lord. He got close. He got proximate. God drew him and spent time with him. God talks about his abounding compassion, love and mercy. His enduring love. And in that presence, he gets transformed. Here then is the root of our transformation in 2023. It's proximity and presence to the Lord. He's done it. He's made the way. And you now carry the glory of Christ in you the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. You've been transformed. God's moved you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son, the kingdom of light. He's placed that in you. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians to say about the fragility of ourselves, but what we carry, which is amazing treasure, like jars of clay, we carry this glory of God. He says this. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made the light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ Jesus. It's made the light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ Jesus. Now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not of ourselves. So you are transformed into carrying the glory of God, the face of Christ revealing the glory of God. You now carry that glory of God by his spirit, transformed. 
The challenge with God is, although God has done the work, he's done the completeness, as we learned when we went through the Galatians series last year, grace has done it all. There is nothing that we need to do. We can't earn righteousness, we can't work at righteousness, we can't improve on the righteousness of Christ. Can't do it. It's done, finished. We accept it, we receive it, and we own it. There it is, a gift, a free gift of grace. The challenge is, now as a, as a, a clay jar, with the treasure of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in me, how do I transform into the likeness of Christ? What do I do? Do I park myself into a cupboard and wait for the end? Go, yeah, it's great, it's done. Happy days. I'll just park here. Or do we follow the ways of Christ? Being in the presence of the Father, pursuing after him, going after him, to know him, to take hold of all that he's calling us to be and be transformed by his presence, by pursuing that, going up the mountain, getting involved, getting stuck in with him, rather than parking in a corner. There's a dynamic that Dallas Willard talks about when it comes to righteousness and intentional living to be empowered by God, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. So righteousness is done for you. It's completely done for you. But walking in the ways of Jesus is wisdom. You want more of God? It's probably why you're here. You want more of him. You want him to transform your world. You, you're hungry for him. You've got this idea that 2023 is going to be different from 22. That you're going to know him better. That you're going to be transformed. That your old habits, your old stuff's going to be put away. That you're going to continue to die to the old man and come alive in the new. That there'll be more of Christ in you by the end of the year than there is at the beginning. That there will be transformation. The challenge we've got with intentional pursuit of God is that we must never believe that that gives us righteousness. I prayed. I went to the prayer meeting. I served. I did this. I did that. I did the other. No, no, no. You can't add to righteousness. It's done for you. It's a free gift. It's a gift of grace. It's happened. End of that then becomes a motivating factor to make decisions about intentionally pursuing him, taking hold of him, saying, I've got to have more. I've got to have more. It's not enough that you just call me and I go, yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Jesus. I'll have your salvation. He says, I want you to have more of me. I want you to feed on me. I want you to take me on board like eating a meal. I want you to consume me and I want to become the central focus of your life. I want everything else to be obscured and out of focus compared to me. Paul says this in Colossians 3. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, 
a little bit harsh, act like it. It's like, oh, this is the message, transliteration. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things in front of you. Look up, be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. In a more sort of word-for-word translation, it basically says, look, set your mind on things above where Christ is. In other words, be thinking from his rule, his reign, his authority, his perspective. What does that do to change us? There's this dynamic in the Christian life which is one of encounter and intentionality. It's one of revelatory empowerment through encountering Christ and his spirit and being empowered by his spirit and then deliberate intentional decisions to say, I'm going to do, I'm going to think, I'm going to be as he calls me to be. It's bringing ourselves in line with that rather than, thank you, I'll have the encounter and then I'll just carry on as normal. So what does 2023 present for us as an opportunity? Presents an opportunity which says, look, what are you going to do with this year? How much are you going to pursue him, his presence, so that you get transformed? So that gospel glory, that spirit glory that resides in you, how you've been transformed, will be continually transformed from glory to glory. There will be an increase of his government in your life. There will be an increase of him in your life. He wants to empower you as a people. Empowerment of people comes through apprenticing Jesus. When Jesus said to the fishermen, to Matthew, to others, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What, he, what he's basically saying is, look, come and apprentice with me. Come learn my craft. Be with me. Step one. He called the disciples to himself that they might be with him. Step one. That place of intimacy, that place of inclusion, that place of presence. Step two, they learned what he was doing. They learned from him. They saw what he was doing. And step three, he says, right, now, Leave your money bags, leave your spare coat, put your iPhone down, now go. And he breathes on them and he anoints them to go do as he does. Why? Because they're apprentices with the purpose of doing what the master does. John Mark Comer unpacks this beautifully in his messages. There is a reality to our life, which is one of these two things that almost merge or do merge regularly. Pursuing his presence in worship and prayer 
being transformed by him and intentional decision-making to say, I'm going to put myself in the way of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put myself in the way of obedience. I'm going to put myself where you're asking me to be because you're my Lord and you're asking me to follow you. And so I want to practice your ways. We're going to be looking at that over this year or so. Practicing the ways of Jesus. I want to be exploring how did he go about optimizing, seeking to live his life and build his life around the Father's will? How did he go about listening to the Father? How did he go about spending time with the Father? How did he go about in obedience? How did he go about expressing the kingdom's culture? How did he go about this stuff? What does that look like? And as apprentices to Jesus, we want to be practicing the way. Practicing his way and what that looks like. So we're going to kick off in this next month with, in January and February, bit, uh, we're going to be kicking off with community. What does it mean to be part of Jesus' community? And how did he model it? And why is it important to him and therefore it should be important to us? What's the dynamic that occurs in community that helps us grow, that helps us become more like Jesus? And then we're going to be looking at uh, hospitality, not hospitality, scripture. We're going to be looking at scripture. Because Jesus knew his word inside out and sideways. It's the narrative of his world, of his life. So how do we handle that? What does that look like? Where do we go with it? How can we learn from him if we find reading hard? How can we take hold of these things? There's a journey to go on as we intentionally look at all the different ways Jesus did life. And he says, come follow me. And there's this scenario where he presents to the disciples a sort of a, well, like a, not an ultimatum, but it's almost like an ultimatum. Because it's always an invitation with Jesus. It's an invitation. Come and follow me. But then his stories are like, you know, sort of provoke us in such a way that we think, I don't know that I do have a choice. I don't think I do have a choice, to be honest. Just after he says to the, to the gathered crowd, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And everyone's like, yeah, thanks very much, and walk off. And then he turns to the disciples and goes, you too, you also going to leave me? And they sort of stand there, and I think it's Peter maybe. He speaks most often, doesn't he? And he stands there and he goes, well, you've got the words of eternal life. Where else am, where else am I going to go? There is nowhere else to go. You're putting an option on the table. It's not really an option, is it? He frames this choice as the pearl of great price. Are you going to sell everything to buy it? He frames this option as the field with the treasure in it. Are you going to sell everything to buy that field? Because the kingdom of God's in there. So everything else becomes worthless in comparison to having the field with the treasure. Everything else becomes valueless compared to having that pearl of great price. And this is what Christ offers us. 
He offers us unspeakable value of himself. He says, look, I want you to climb up the mountain. I want you to be transformed by my presence. I want you to pursue me in worship and prayer. I want you to do it publicly and I want you to do it privately. I want you to do it singularly in the secret place with the Father who hears all. And I want you to do it corporately together. Because you are my body, you are my people. And this is where my spirit dwells. In the church. Amongst my people. And I want you there. There's a sacrifice of time. There's a sacrifice of money. We're so grateful, the whole team, we're so grateful for your generosity, continued generosity to one another and to the church in order to be able to have ministry, in order to have a building that you tithe and you give 10% of your income and that you support us and our ministries. We're so grateful, so appreciative. And there's so many things we want to do that we want to see. The reality is the world out there is collapsing in terms of what it can do. And when you see that, you know it's ripe for the kingdom of God. And social services are massively constrained. When the NHS can't cope, when financial systems are struggling, you know that it's ripe for the kingdom of God. Because man has to say, no longer in my own strength, I'm going to have to look to another. The question is, are we going to be the people to carry that glory, carry that moment, into our communities. And he said, look, he who is in you is greater than he's in the world. The spirit I've put in you is not a spirit of timidity, but of boldness and confidence and courage. That's what I've placed in my people. There's a glory in you that's greater than the glory of Moses. The question is, what am I going to do with that? A, I need to intentionally pursue his presence, get hold of him, and be present and say, God, have it all. I'm all in. I'm buying the pearl. I'm buying the field. I'm all in. I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm all in. I'm yours. Transformed by his presence, we then need to make intentional decisions about what am I going to do? How am I going to serve him? How am I going to spend my mornings with him or my afternoons or my evenings or that five minutes when, man alive, the kids are still up and I'd wish they'd go to bed? Because it's not easy, right? I've got four. Well, <laughs> arguably I've got two children now and the other two are adults already. <laughs> but it's hard, right? It's hard. Life is a, is a kind of self-propelling Journey, like a roller coaster, you're hanging on for dear life sometimes. But what we don't want is for life to run away with us and lose the opportunity that the Lord presents to say, now get in this car instead. Don't run the roller coaster of crazy. Get in my car and we'll go on a journey together. 
And I need you to not always be driving. I need you to be in the passenger seat and I need to let me take you where you need to go. There's intentionality about our diary planning. There's intentionality about our time. There's intentionality about how we serve. There's intentionality about where we put our money. There's intentionality about the gift God has made you to be being active in this body. Because we're missing something. I, 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 you know, I could have a hand missing because you're not active in the church in the way God's called you to. And there could be any number of reasons for that, right? But we don't want to be a church that's kind of hopping along on one leg and half blind with one arm behind its back or whatever because you don't feel there's a place for you to function. You're here because God has a purpose for you to be active in his body and ministering to one another. Not going to bat the uh, Anglicans, but... You know, vicar is from the word vicarious, I think. Is that right, Derek? Yeah, we're in the right, right ballpark. I always want to check. That's always good. You know, and that's somebody else doing it on your behalf. Now, you can bask in the glory of God in, in Gareth, and it'll be beautiful. But that's not what he's called you to. He's called you up the mountain. And our job is to facilitate you getting up the mountain. So you go beyond us. So you go where God's calling you to go and be what God calls you to be. Now, I'm going to be a little bit... All right. Four children, a busy career. I'm now working for the church. It's easy. Uh to spend time with God and go to church stuff, all right? Just is, all right? I know that. It is. Because life runs at a pace, okay? But friends, have a look at the diary and see when our prayer meetings are on. I don't want this to be a heavy word. But most of the time we get about eight people. And four of those were organising it. I'm serious. I just want to gently provoke because our prayer, our corporate prayer is the place where stuff will happen. It's the place that this town will get transformed. It's the place that his healing expression will increase amongst us as a people. It's the place that we will see the kingdom of God expanded because he calls the church to look to the king and ask. We are gagged, we are limping, we're not active if we're not praying corporately as a community. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we could come to you with all sorts of programs, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of concepts for how to deal with any number of things. But they will not be eternally significant if he's not in them. So can I just provoke? Can I just encourage? Have a look at the diary and think, how can I get involved without sacrificing my marriage, without abandoning my kids, all right, and without becoming so grumpy and sick to death of the church that I never want to go there again. Yeah. 
Have a look at your diary. Go, when are those prayer meetings on? If you're not part of a community group, is there an opportunity to get involved in a community group? This is the intentionality. On a Sunday morning, we seek the face of God in worship so that we are transformed and we give him right praise and right glory. But there's so much more. There's so much more that he calls us to, to give him right praise and glory in prayer, to then hear his voice, know his will and walk in it. To be in a community group where we're rubbing shoulders with one another, iron sharpening iron, doing the life stuff and being transformed. Being intentional about how the word shapes us daily and being intentional about inviting Holy Spirit every morning to say, come fill me, change me, mould me, make me like Christ. It's his presence and our encounter with him and in our decisions about how we follow and practice his ways that I want us to go after in 2023. I hope I can be sufficiently gentle in the provocation. I don't want it to be a heavy word. If it's a heavy word, if it's landing on you heavily, then knock it off, all right? Don't come to a prayer meeting because you feel you have to. Don't come to a prayer meeting because it'll be embarrassing to see us next week because you didn't. And we'll go, oh, how are you doing? How was your week? Well, I didn't come to a prayer meeting. No, we don't want that. You come in freedom and liberty because that's what the Spirit brings, freedom and liberty. But man, we want you there. Because you carry something in the Spirit we don't have. You carry an attribute of the wisdom of God to bring to him in prayer that we might not get. You can hear something from the Lord that we might not hear. So we don't want to be praying like a man who's you know, got half his faculties missing. We want to be a body of Christ at prayer together. Now we've got communion and I'm so glad you're able to come back from uh, side by side with the children. What I'd like you to do is, as we have communion together, feel free to move around. If, you're gonna, if you feel more happy to be on your own having communion, that's absolutely fine. Just stay where you are or, or get the communion and then go back to your seat. That's absolutely fine. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to have communion and just as you do so, say, I'm going to partake in you, Jesus. I'm all in. I'm all in. And then I'd like you, if you're happy and you're confident, to be with somebody around you and then pray for the Holy Spirit to fall.